On this episode of the official Guinea Geek Show, we talk about a space venture scaling back its operation, a Tesla Model 3 giveaway, and WhatsApp imposing forwarding limits. Plus, we talk about the iPhone SE coming back, and SP is going to educate us on some more space awesomeness. This and more in this week's show. I'm Josh Liston from On The Bubble Podcast, an oral history of television fandom, part of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other awesome geeky shows at gunnageeknetwork.com. This is the official gunnageek.com show. Here, we're a bunch of geeks talking about geeky things. Each week, we run down the latest news and happenings in the world of geek. These are your hosts for the show, Stephen. But what if I'm in the mood for a T-Swift story? Chris. I've heard the X is going to give it to you. And SP. That's how we roll on Gonna Geek on Monday night. We get crazy! Gonna Geek Productions presents the official GunnaGeek.com show. and welcome to an all-new episode of the official GunnaGeek.com show. Not going to say the number on this one because I screwed up on better podcasting last week. I'm Stephen John Drew, and of course, I have Chris Farrell with me today. And welcome to episode 1000 of the GunnaGeek.com show. Yes, we are at episode 1000 now. I could definitely get behind that number again. We also have, of course, the one who is supposed to keep me in check, Stargate Pioneer. Oh no, every once in a while, I just let you run amok and see the ensuing chaos and i'm entertained by it so this is me letting you out on your own seeing you fail and then just smiling (laughs) everybody always smiles when they see me fail it's it's most people's life goal is to watch me fail this is fair and you can see it every week on the goodgeek.com show Uh, live every monday 8 45 p.m eastern time on geeks.live So if you didn't know this, we do actually record the show live, as Chris said, on Mondays. But we do actually have a chat room at Geeks.Live. And I want to go ahead and give a special shout out to the chat room tonight. um, Because we discovered that the chat room that we traditionally use here on the official GunnaGeek.com show, Chatwing, looks like maybe they've been bought or something because uh, their website's down. Everything seems to redirect over to Chatroll. So uh, we had to, at the last minute here, try to find something new. And if you use Chatwing, keep your eyes on that because either their website was hijacked, expired, or purchased by another company. So yeah, just uh, to keep that uh, information out there, we might go through some other chats on Geeks.Live as we record over the next couple of weeks and try to find ourselves a new home other than in Chris's home. Well, come on over. I got room. You guys don't mind dog and cat, right? I mean, no pet allergies. Uh, no, I don't think so. But, you know, the I might have an allergy to, to you. Well, SP can just take the rocket from the moon base right here. You can be here in, what, 30 minutes? <laughs> a little less if we go into hyperdrive, but I'm allergic okay. to cats, so that's not going to happen. Okay. All right. We'll send the rocket to pick up Steven and then send it here. If he I'm going to send a rocket to Steven, it's not going to be to pick him up. <laughs> Is it going to be to wipe him off the map? I'm very confused here. Yeah, that's exactly what he's talking about. That's the type of rocket that's coming my way. He's been trying so hard to kill me with a space shuttle or space debris from Chinese space stations and stuff, but hasn't happened yet. But let's go ahead and move on to the news. Here we go. All right, let's go ahead and kick it off here with some space news since, you know, we were just talking about space. And the thing about space is that Stargate Pioneer likes to talk about space. So, of course, we're going to start off with news from Stargate Pioneer. You know who's not going to have a rocket anymore? It's Straddle Launch. And that is because the Seattle-based space venture created by Microsoft co-founder Paul Allen seven years ago did state last week that it's discontinuing its programs to develop a new type of rocket engine and a new line of rockets. The company said it would continue work on the world's largest airplane, by the way, 
which is designed to serve as a flying launch pad for rockets. Two weeks ago, Strata Launch put its 385-foot-wide twin fuselage plane, that big monster plane, through a high-speed taxi test that many saw as a precursor for its first flight test at the Mojave Air and Space Port. This dramatic turn of events for the rockets comes three months after Allen's death. Employees were told on January 18th that more than 50 people were being laid off as a result of the streamlining strategy, according to two sources who are not employed by Stratolaunch but are familiar with the operation. The sources, speaking on condition of anonymity, told GeekWire.com that about 20 employees were staying on to work on the plane and prepare for the test flight. The company's development plan has called for getting its giant plane certified to carry rockets as early as 2020, with the capacity to launch up to three of Northrop Grumman's Pegasus XL launch vehicles from an altitude in the neighborhood of 35,000 feet. Strato Launch had been working on a hydrogen-fueled rocket engine that was named the PGA in honor of Paul G. Allen. It also laid out a plan for building a variety of launch vehicles, including a space plane, with the first in-house rocket targeted for launch in 2022. Those parts of the Strato Launch program have now been canceled. So RIP Strato Launch rockets but we still have the strata launch and i was looking at this news going please please don't be a repeat of the largest wooden plane ever you guys remember that no i don't i don't remember the spruce that. goose is spruce, spruce goose. goose and um howard um what was his name um hughes hughes howard hughes actually created it because of the metal shortage in world war ii and it was meant to be a transport but by the time it was actually made the war was basically over so it was the only plane ever made and i was thinking that the strata launch would go that way and fly once and that would be it so let me ask you this stargate pioneer yep why were you not a part of this project why were you not who a said, part of this who says i'm not oh you sure turned the tables on me i see what you did there so I the, can the neither question confirm I would have is, did the death of paul allen kind of ensure their demise without him there being like, I want to keep spending money on this. This sounds like a good idea to me. Kind of make it so they could shut the door. Similar to what might happen if, say, Jeff Bezos had passed and Blue Origin might no longer okay. continue. It, it's it's funny that you mentioned all that. So I read quite a few articles on this, not just the geekwire.com article, but there's a spacenews.com article and, and a few others out there. So yes, the ceasing of operations is directly attributed to the fact that they were protective of the estate and the amount of money that would have to go in the development of the rockets and that Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk have both spent over a billion dollars developing their space capabilities and as well as Virgin Galactic. So if you take a look at all those guys out there, they have spent their own hard earned money to develop space capabilities and some have more to show for it than others. If you take a look at this capability, I'm not quite sure where it would fit. Now, there is nothing to be said that those capabilities can't be developed in the future as long as you have the Strata Launch space plane. But it's a little bit like the space shuttle, whereas we were told we were going to go eventually to the moon because of the space shuttle program, because the space shuttle would have taken goods and people up to a low Earth orbiting space station. Then you'd use a space tug to go to the moon and you'd land on the moon that way, but we only got the space station, the space shuttle, and then the space station, and that was too much money. So I think the same thing would have happened here, but we don't know how things are going to shake out. We do know that Strata Launch, as a company itself, will not be developing the rockets. All right, so I got to say it right now, um, in reference to space shuttle and blah, 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 you use the term space tug, and I got to say, since Suncast started taking up residence on the moon, the term space tug is something very different. Very different now. Mm. <laughs> I went there. Alright, moving on to our next news point. We have good old <laughs> low-hanging fruit John Drew here. <laughs> yep, that's me. And let's move that's on. Me. Move on. <laughs> moving on. Uh out of the world of WhatsApp, believe it or not, we have some interesting news that I wanted to bring up to spark a discussion. 
WhatsApp, which if you're not familiar, is a Facebook-owned company. They are a messenger. They are imposing a new forward messaging limit in an effort to stop the spread of misinformation. Apparently, users who are using WhatsApp Messenger will now only be able to forward a message up to five times. So that's either to five individuals or five groups. This limit is... It was previously imposed in India, apparently, and... Now they're rolling it out as a tr as a way to try to restrict misinformation like fake news or, you know, those articles that everybody just goes and forwards without checking. And in India, apparently they rolled this out as a way to try to restrict the occurrence of violent crimes that were resulting from the spread of misinformation. Now, it's important to note that because this is something that you can forward over to uh, five different individuals or groups theoretically it still could be a lot of misinformation if there was a large group because groups are limited to 256 members meaning that potentially five forwards could maximum reach 1280 different users but this is something that i wanted to bring up because it is rolled out pretty quick to android apparently and is coming to ios soon now what's our thoughts on this is this something that manufacturers should be working into their software, a way to stop this misinformation, or should we just put that onus on the recipient to read something and go, this might be BS? Are we sure that this news story isn't fake news? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> That's a fair point. As with all things, I assume that they are real. I think that answers your question. <laughs> yeah, I don't think this solves the fact that some people are just going to believe whatever they see. I mean, what stops me instead of forwarding it to just copy pasting and sending the exact same thing to all these different groups that I'm associated with or something like that? Yeah, yeah for me personally, I don't necessarily think that this is a move that needs to be made. Um, I think that this is something that if you want to stop spamming, okay, fair enough. Maybe you do something elsewise, but five is not necessarily spamming. Five people is potentially legitimate. This is a PR move. That's all it is. This doesn't necessarily change the behavior. It makes it slightly harder to do the way I read it. And let's be honest, with all the black guys that Facebook has taken lately, they need some positive PR so you can put out this bull crap out there. It's like, we're doing all of this to stop the spread of fake news. And it doesn't really do anything, but it sounds great on TV. Just like their, what was it? Their fake news command center, whatever they built at Facebook that was supposed to help monitor news stories being shared and purge away all the fake crap. Uh, yeah, I don't even think it exists anymore based off some reports I'd seen from Silicon Valley. So it, it's just optics and PR. So what is stopping you from copying and pasting? Yeah, mm -hmm. forwarding is one thing, but you can copy and paste, right? Well, I was going to say, the answer is nothing. This does not affect... Copy and pasting. This is just simply forwarding messages. I mean, you could take a screenshot and basically send it off. Which a lot of people do. And that's why I think that this is not necessarily something that they needed to get into. I think that it really, I agree with Chris. I think this is a PR move. And uh, and to be honest, not a very good PR move. This is, this is just a weird PR move of all things. This is like five. Five is just like a random number that they just decided to pull out of their arse. Bizarre. Absolutely bizarre to me. So anyways, moving on, going from one thing that you're going to pull out of your arse to another, Chris Farrell, how are you going to pull a Tesla Model 3 out of your arse? Wish I could pull a Model 3 out of my arse. I'd be driving it around right now, but <laughs> this is not about that. This is a chance for someone to get a free Tesla Model 3. Now you need a very specific set of skills. So if you guys didn't know, Tesla has been working very closely with the white hacker community for years to make sure its vehicle software is safer, but now it's taking an unprecedented step. It's going to give a Model 3 to a hacker if they can crack the vehicle. Kind of cool. So over the past four years, Tesla has been running a bug bounty program. And according to sources familiar with that effort, the company has given away hundreds of thousands in rewards who, to hackers who expose vulnerabilities within its system. The automaker increased its max payout per reported bug to $15,000 last year. It also took a great step in reassuring owners who are hacking their own vehicles. What did they do? They said that Tesla will not void its warranty when a vehicle is hacked for, quote, pre-approved good faith security research, end quote. So if you've got a Tesla 
and you're a white hat hacker, you can get permission to hack your vehicle so that you do not violate your warranty. That's kind of cool, but it gets even more interesting now. Tesla will now be the first automaker to participate in the Pwn to Own hacking event run by Trend Micro's Zero Day Initiative. At the event in March this year in Vancouver, the company will give away a Model 3 to the winner of the contest. David Lau, the vice president of vehicle software at Tesla, gave some comments on this announcement saying, quote, We develop our cars with the highest standards of safety in every respect, and our work with the security research community is invaluable to us. Since launching our bug bounty program in 2014, the first to excuse me, the first to include a connected consumer vehicle, we have continuously increased our investments into partnerships with security researchers to ensure all Tesla owners constantly benefit from the brightest minds in the community. We look forward to learning about and rewarding great work in Pwn to Own so that we can continue to improve our products and our approach to designing inherently secure systems. So this is what's interesting. They've had this bug bounty program out there for ages, but now you've incentivized white hat hackers. If you can if you can do enough damage at Pwn to Own, you get yourself a Model 3. And let's be honest, do you really think Tesla's not going to be paying out for any other bugs that show up? They have to because the last thing you want is your super smart car having a vulnerability that forces it to do dumb things. Remember those Jeep Grand Cherokees a few years back that had Sprint cellular modems in them that people could hack and take remote control of? Tesla doesn't want that. Tesla doesn't also want someone tracking you all the time. So I think this is actually a really cool move to reach out and say on top of our bounty program, we want to participate in Pwn Own. Kudos to them. And I would love to see more car makers and stuff like that have that happen in the future because I don't know if we talked about it on this show before, but the security of integrated systems on automobiles tends to be a bit lacking. And let's be honest, in any of our cars nowadays, how often do you update the infotainment system? How often do they push updates out? Not very often. Tesla's the exception. They could push updates out daily if they wanted. But like my Subaru, I've gotten two infotainment upgrades in the last four years, I think. I've gotten zero in the last 12 years. Yes, my car Yikes. is 12 years old. Wow. Yeah, I had something happen with my GMC and OnStar, and I forget what it was, but it ended up being very apparent to me that I got an update, and I was very surprised, and it was early on, and then um, it was just like nothing's ever happened since, so <laughs> I agree. They're high, highly, highly out of date, which means, of course, that somebody is listening to everything that I do in the car. It's me. I'm doing it. I have a <laughs> camera in there. It's stevencarcam.com. I, I'm okay with that, as long as I get a cut of the profits. There's no profits. It's just so I can watch you sing to yourself. What do you mean there's no profits? There's a Tesla on the line. Not for stevencarcam.com. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so again, remind me, how exactly are you going to pull a Tesla Model 3 out of your arse? Well, I'm going to go win at Pwn to Own, and then get a matchbox. I have no idea. This is weird. The real question I have for you guys, though, is do you think anyone at Pwn to Own is going to be successful enough in finding an error that allows someone to take control of the vehicle that they get the free Tesla? Do you think that will happen? I think there's there's a good chance. Yes, I do. Yeah, I do. Yeah, the world of white and gray and even red and black hack, hat hatter, hackers is, you know, somebody's going to do this and then whether or not i guess they get the test i i guess that's depending on if they get previous permission or not well the interesting thing to me will be is how many bugs get reported as part of the bounty program between now and march did they inadvertently screw themselves here <laughs> because people want to use a bug they find as their back door to get in and try and control the vehicle that's a really good point <laughs> all of a sudden they have no new updates that's awesome well, I'm sure they'll have those, but it's an interesting thought. If you're a white hat hacker and you find an exploit, do you get the potential 15K now and potentially close that door so you can't lose it later? Or do you risk it all and try and win a free, what, $60,000 car if you get a fully loaded Model 3? I don't, I, I would it's wait. It's in that range. I'd wait. I'd wait. Why not? There you know, you like, I'm sure that if they're doing this, they have other skills that they can get bounties elsewhere. So... I'd, I'd wait. There you go. I don't know. Just follow Steven's plan. You too could try and win a Tesla Model 3. <laughs> Up the ante to a Model X and you get a lot more people interested. 
Ain't that the truth? But that's a bit of a bigger uh, cut for Tesla to have to give away a, what, $120,000 on the low end vehicle? They launched one into orbit. Come on. That was a Roadster. They don't even make those anymore. That's a collector's item. And it's in space. So you're going to go and get it and bring it back to Earth and drive around Elon's uh, Roadster is what I'm hearing. They're space mining for a reason, guys. This could be the ultimate goal of starting that down the path of happening. I like it. Grab the Tesla. I like it. All right. Well, moving on from talking about a Tesla X to the extra, extra. (laughs) See what I did there. Uh, Stargate Pioneer, you had some other piece of space news that you wanted to talk about here, right? I did. Chris, do you remember when we discussed the Chinese moon lander to the far side of the moon? Do you remember we discussed the seeds that were on board that you you hoped were a potato seed, right? I was really hoping they're potato seeds so we could say the Chinese scientists science the expletive out of it. Right. Well, wait for it. (gasps) The stronger team announced on January 15th that a cotton seed had sprouted. Not a potato seed, a cotton seed. Now, the Chinese moon capsule also included seeds to grow potatoes and a common lab plant called Arabdipotus, I guess, neither of which have sprouted. However, on January 16th, it was reported that the cotton plants that sprouted on the moon's far side aboard the Shanger 4 lander are dead, done in by the bitter cold and the lengthy lunar night. Yeah, but they still did it. How cool is that? It is cool. Cotton they seeds, first it. seeds that were actually germinated that were on a surface, not on the Earth. We've germinated seeds in the International Space Station, but we have not germinated seeds on another surface of a celestial body. I'm just going to go ahead and say it right now that uh, going back to what we talked about earlier with Suncast, he has germinated a lot of seed <laughs> on a celestial body. <sighs> Move on. <laughs> Move on. You just took the wind right out of those sails there. That's the, This momentum first ever in the terms of genetics and plants and terraforming and colonization and you went there i Steven, did go there yes i proudly went there steven that is an atgn joke not a gonna geek joke. <laughs> all right well fair <laughs> enough uh let's go on and um bash our heads a little bit here moving along I with the did. A, with the atgn theme uh and and question why why apple because apparently apple has quietly brought back the iPhone SE. That's right. This old school phone that uh, was out how many years ago? Twenty, I think it was twenty sixteen. Is back. If you didn't know that, the iPhone SE that was released in March of twenty sixteen went away and was no longer available for sale for a while. And then quietly, Apple just decided to start selling this again. It's really odd because, you know, obviously 32 gigabyte version is available and um, it's now for 249. And then there's also a 128. But still, if you think about the 32 gigabyte, that just shows like how old this phone is because nobody has 32 gig phone anymore. It's so old school. So weird that these have come back quietly onto the Apple store. And I'm just wondering why? Why, Apple? Why? What's the goal here? You're wondering. You have a speculation, Stephen. I want to hear it. Uh, honestly, the only speculation that I actually have is that they are trying to kickstart the discount phone market again. Like this is sort of a precursor to something new they're going to release. That's the only thing uh, that I can think of. Really? You mm-hmm. haven't put one and one together to make two that Apple's bottom line tanked because their cell phones are so GD expensive. That they needed to throw something out there that was a lot less so that people would actually continue to buy and maintain in their architecture. You didn't put that together? I did, but the iPhone SE is a questionable choice, to be honest. There's a lot of other phones between the iPhone SE and now that they could probably release for the same price point. But the iPhone SE was the small size. So that goes to show that potentially there's still some demand for what that four inch size smartphone. What else do you have at the four inch size? Maybe that's why they're bringing it back. I I don't know. It's just the price tag. You're talking about $299 and $249. That is the real reason here. It's a lower price tag by far. 
So, so going on that theme, maybe this is Apple's play to say, Hey, you're thinking you need to get your kid a cell phone because all the other kids have it or other reasons, be it, you need to be able to contact your kid or something like that. What's the easiest entry point? It's the iPhone SE because it's what 300 bucks, 249 bucks. If they break it, that's less of a hit than if you get them even a mid-range phone. So you give them that and then you hook them as an iOS user, early iTunes user, all those other things. Maybe that's the play. I, I don't know. It seems really weird, but there's got to be some method to this madness other than making people on the Internet go, what the hell? It's not, <laughs> it, it's not just the United States. You're talking about China, too. Anybody that cannot afford these bigger phones, they came out and said with their end of year and quarter announcements that they were really hurting for sales in China itself. Not to mention here in the United States, I, it's got to be that these new items here, not this eight plus, but the XS Max and crap at $1,500 phone. I still can't get off that. And you know, it's <laughs> just going to grow. You that Guys, we've had this discussion before. It pisses me off. And this is Apple's response to it going, oh, crap, we got to do something. Let's throw this maybe just as a bone to test the market, maybe to say, Hey, look, you know, we have a phone that's affordable. This is the same price that people bought with their fives and, and fours, you know, when you, they had the subsidized. So if I was looking at that price tag and going, I need a smartphone, but I'm not willing to pay 1500 bucks, then this could be it. And Steven, your own argument before of, well, do we really need the latest generation of phone? This is proof. If you need a phone for a year or two, maybe this is it. But I don't think this is going to get you a year, many more than a year. Let me rephrase, because go and look at what's in it. Yes, it runs the current version of iOS, but you're talking technology that's the same as the iPhone 6S. So the 64-bit A9 processor, two gigs of RAM, things like that. This is stuff that they're rapidly moving past, that being the minimum requirements of the new version of iOS. So my question would be, next year, does it still work with the latest version of iOS, or does it get left behind and you're stuck on whatever version it is now. I don't disagree, but I'm going to turn you guys' very own argument against you in that this is just what people need. We're high-powered users in general. We need either the latest or close to the latest just to stay on top of the technology that we want to consume. Not everybody needs that. Yeah, but... The, the thing I think is important to remember and why I'm more in the camp with Chris here is Apple, once that support is dropped, it's dropped. And in, then you stop getting the latest apps. And that's the question that I have here because it is so closed that as soon as that OS, that iOS ends up dropping away the support, like within months, you can no longer get certain apps on there. And we've seen that time and time again with Apple. And so Android, I could maybe actually buy that argument and it would be a terrible experience. I don't want to say that it would like make it sound like I think that it would be a good experience. I think it would still be a terrible experience, but you would probably get some apps slipping through. But iOS, it happens so damn fast. And so that's why I question this because this is so dated. With that said, I do want to say the old generation. Yes, we've talked about that before, but not this old. What did I say? This was 2016. I think I think the sweet spot is is a year or two. Not this old. Like this is crazy. And space wise, too. 32 gigs, right? Like you yeah, know. Yeah, that's no. That, no, I wouldn't do that. So I have an iPhone 4s. I believe this is a 64 gigabyte iPhone 4s. It is my soundboard and has been my soundboard for Starling Tribune for quite some time. I tried to upgrade it to the next generation of soundboard so i can play live sounds like the intro outro bumps that sort of thing and it would not load it said it not supported i'm like okay that's done my fours and four s's that i've been using as soundboards are done i do have a 5s that works but it's probably the last generation that will work so i have this backpack studio app and it is on here so it will work as long as Backpack Studio works, but once that breaks, then I'll have to go to the six success or eight or, or whatever I have. And unfortunately, you start to get a cutoff where the 3.5 millimeter jack is gone. And now I need a dongle or something. So 
it, it's going to be a constant struggle for it, but I do keep my old phones. So I keep them for an application like this, but it is a indication that the phone is no longer used. This 5S will be good for a year. And that's basically the SE. But the difference is you're not using those as your daily driver. I have a 5S in my car and literally all it's used for is iTunes to integrate with my infotainment. That is literally all I use it for. So if I had that as my daily driver, it would probably frustrate the crap out of me because I've pulled up apps on there a couple of times just because I was bored and wanted to see what it was like on the 5S. And it's super slow. It, it doesn't do a good job handling it. So even if it is supported, you're not giving the best impression. I, I, I don't know what the plan is here, but maybe they just found a cache of these things and need to sell them <laughs> off. I, I don't know. But even if you want to hit your basic users, none of them should be going the SE route, I wouldn't think, just because you're not really future-proofing yourself. You're just temporarily filling the gap. And if you're okay with realizing I'm spending $250 to basically put off spending a larger sum of money right now, then you're okay. But I can't imagine the first choice being like, I got to get the SE. I think that again, 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 I think that this is the first of, of a couple things. And I think we're going to see this SE line restarted. And I think that that's the reason right now is they do this here and it might not be this year, but I think within the next couple of years, we're going to see that line come back for all of the reasons SPU just argued with, um, you know, throwing our own face or our own logic in our face. I think that it's absolutely valid because it's our own logic. And uh, I, <laughs> I, I do think that we're going to see this. And so now they can go, OK, we've refreshed the line. We've refreshed it rather than being like, hey, we brought it back because our money sucks. Well, is this year iPhone XR going to be next year's SE. Because that's basically what the SE was, was a 5 or a 5S, right? It could be. And and I think that this is exactly, though, why they need to do that, because then they take whatever is they're selling right now as current, and they can just slide that into the SE spot. And from a publicity spot it, perspective, it looks good. So I just, I think that that's the way it's going to go. But who knows? We will see. In any case, Apple is hurting for money, which... You heard it here first. Stargate Pioneer said that Apple is going to close up shop by the end of the year. That's what SP said. Yeah, that's, that's exactly, exactly what not what I said. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go ahead and move on to SP Space Symposium. But before we get there, we want to remind you, we are part of the Gunna Geek Network. The Gunna Geek Network has a bunch of amazing geeky podcasts on it. If you want to head on over to GunnaGeekNetwork.com, I would encourage you to do so and check out all of the awesome geeky shows. We've got stuff that covers general geekery. We've got stuff that is your Sunday fun time. We even have stuff that is on television shows, including none other than the Starling Tribune, which in episode 224 of the Starling Tribune titled Number 224, season 7.5 edition, Legends of Tomorrow, quote, witch hunt, end quote. The Starling Tribune reporters, SP, Michelle, and Chris review the Legends of Tomorrow, season four, second episode, witch hunt. Check this out at gunnageeknetwork.com. Again, that title is Starling Tribune, number 224, season 7.5 edition, Legends of Tomorrow, quote, witch hunt, end quote. Go ahead and Google that now. You probably know SP from various shows on the Gunny Geek Network. But did you know that outside of podcasting, he's actually the director of the secret government space organization called SNASA. You're about to hear him declassify some Area 51 level secrets in the segment he calls SP's Space Symposium. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to talk about the next space probe in the Space Symposium. So for those that are not familiar with the Space Symposium, perhaps you're new to the podcast. What I've been doing since Get a Geek episode number 136 is running down a milestone mission in space. We started with space telescopes. We moved on to orbiting probes, and now we are looking at inter planetary probes but this one we're gonna put the brakes on just a little bit and we're gonna go back to orbiting probes because what we got is a very special episode tonight special for steven anyway and we're gonna be talking about alouette one which was the first canadian satellite uh, steven, did you, do your, 
Alouette, there you sit, really good. Bear, <laughs> you stop singing that song. Don't so, know the song. It just sounds kind of similar because it's legally distinct. Steven, Sorry, did you do distinct. your homework? <laughs> Steven, did you do your homework this week like I told you to? I did. I read your notes. That, okay. that, that was my homework. Was, that, is, that that was is that acceptable? Is that acceptable? Okay. That was your homework. All right. Yes. So Alouette 1 was the, and 2, by the way, more on that later, were small ionospheric observatories built as a joint project between the Canadian's defense, spelled with a C, by the way, defense and research telecommunications establishment, or DRTE, and NASA. Alouette 1 was the first satellite launched into space, which was built entirely by a country other than the U.S. or the USSR. By the way, the British Ariel 1, which was constructed by the United States by NASA, preceded Alouette 1 by five months. The name Alouette, in case you don't know, came from the French for Skylark and the French-Canadian folk song of the same name, which Stephen was trying to to remember uh, and fail. No, I won't do. I won't keep Stop. doing it. I couldn't Don't remember. Encourage him, please. <laughs> no. So a little bit of the parameters on this mission. The orbit was about a thousand kilometers at an inclination of about 80 degrees. It was launched on September 29th, 1962 from Vandenberg with a Thor DM-21 Agena B rocket. It was really control I, I i'm not sure if it was controlled by nasa it i think it was supposed to be controlled by K it really wasn't controlled because there was nothing to control it just sent down data it had a launch mass of 145 kilograms which is about 319.67 pounds or and i actually did the math guys about the weight of all four doors on a 2019 GMC Sierra 4x4 crew cab. Of, of course it is. Of course. Can we go ahead and and just comment here that you said pounds and it should not be pounds if we're talking about a Canadian object. Can we just go ahead and highlight that right now? I did say 145 kilograms. Right, I did say that first. I know, but then you said pounds. You could have just omitted the pounds. You should have just gone with the culture. But this well. is so everyone can understand the measurement. When in Rome. When in Rome. Even We're though <laughs> this is a Canadian-based show on a Canadian-based network, most of our audience is American, That's and they true. don't know what a kilogram is. Except I, I hear we're really big in Russia. We are now. Is, is that kind of <laughs> Russian, John? Exactly. Continue, SP. So if you take a look at this thing, it, was, it wasn't a sphere like most of the other ones that we're talking about, like Sputnik. This was a like hexagonal sort of trapezoid. And it had a dimension of 34 inches high, so three feet high, and 42 inches across, or four feet, just under four feet across. So its mission was to study the ionosphere, which is an electrically, electrically charged layer of the upper atmosphere with aims of advancing communication possibilities. Now, the idea was to have radio waves bounce off the ionosphere, thereby allowing information to be transmitted over longer distances, Previous methods of communications were also unreliable because signals were often disrupted by the Aurora Borealis, also known as the Northern Lights. The Alouette was designed to understand such phenomena and develop methods to improve communication technology. Now, the spacecraft itself had a payload which included a unique structure of a 150-foot antenna, which to this day, according to the articles I read, remains the longest aboard any space vehicle to date. Note, this is not independently verified by the Gunna Geek show. Now, this structure was designed by the Canadian George Klein and allowed the satellite to receive and transmit radio waves over a wide range of frequencies. The antenna was also known as the Storable Tubular Extendable Member, or STEM, antennas. These were revolutionary and really uh, redesigned what you could actually put in space in terms of the space that you had within the launch vehicle itself to the space that you needed in order to transmit and receive data. It also had on board a sweep frequency sounder. Now, this experiment measured the electron density distribution in the ionosphere by measuring the time delay between the emission and the return of radio pulses. 
The sounder was able to emit pulses with frequencies between 1 and 12 megahertz with a power of 100 watts. Now, this is important because we're going to talk about power later. It had energetic particle detectors, an arrangement of Geiger counters and scintillators for detecting energetic particles. It had a VLF receiver, which was an experiment for measuring both artificial and natural VLF signals. It was sensitive to frequencies between 400 and 10,000 hertz. It also had a cosmic radio noise uh, capability, which was two long radio antennas for detecting radio noise from the sun and the galaxy. Now, unfortunately, the satellite did not have a tape recorder to store its data, so it was only possible to obtain the data when the satellite was in range of a receiving station, and there were four of them throughout the Earth. And most importantly, it had a first for spacecraft. It had long-lasting nickel-cadmium batteries. Now, remember that. We're what? talking about 100 watts, and we're talking about nickel-cadmium batteries. What type of batteries were used before? It was, I believe, lead acid. I think, oh, okay. If I remember correctly, I, I might be mistaken about that. Uh oh, someone's getting a memory effect with their NICAD batteries. Uh, it could be. <laughs> so the Alouette program was actually initiated by Dr. John Chapman, who at his untimely death in 1979 at the age of 58 was the assistant deputy minister for space in the Canadian Department of Communications. At the end of 1958, a proposal was submitted by Canada to NASA for a scientific satellite to act as an ionospheric topside sounder, so from on top, to study the effects of the ionosphere on radio communications in the north from an orbital altitude of approximately 1,000 kilometers. Now, the development of Alouette 1 came as a result of an American in invitation by NASA, which was newly formed in 1958, the National Aeronautics and Space Administration. And they were invited for international collaboration in the budding satellite program. Now, within months, Dr. Chapman and Edwin Warren, which were scientists at Canada's Defense and Research Telecommunications Establishment, submitted to NASA a proposal to design and build a Canadian satellite that could monitor the ionosphere from above. The proposal was accepted, and a team of DRTE scientists was formed under Chapman's leadership to begin the process of designing and building the two identical Alouette models. Now, this was important. If you read the literature about this, Canada makes a big deal, and rightfully so, that nobody in Canada had designed a satellite before. Well, in 1958, not very many people on Earth have designed and built a satellite. So they were doing Fair. a lot of this from scratch. The 1962 launching of the Alouette is significant in marking Canada as a major technological player within the international community and promoting a new shift in direction from European partnerships to one with an American focus. So 1962, the Alouette Scientific satellite programs is what severed the ties between Canada and Europe, except for the royal ties, and made you part of America, and now we want to build a wall on the northern border to not be part of America. One day. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, and, and it's fair that you bring up current events as you're rolling through previous events and past historical events, shall we say, because just like this historical event, you also accepted my proposal. No, I did not. And we're going to move on. So three Alouettes were actually produced. There was the prototype, which is called the S27-2. There was also the S27-3, which became the Alouette 1, and the S27-4, which was the backup. That was also launched in 1965 and made the designation of Alouette 2. Now, the Alouette, the prototype, is now in the Canadian Aviation and Space Museum collection and it is in Ottawa, Ontario. Stephen, have you been to Ottawa, Ontario? No, I have not. Uh, it's funny. I, I've as uh, far as I've been was Winnipeg, Manitoba. That's yeah, as far so, far east as I've gone. So you've never done the American road trip across the continent? No, no. And you know, anytime I've tried to do a road trip, I just get going and I fall in love with a moose and we come home. I see. That's all it is. 
Do you even know how many kilometers it is from your neck of the woods to Ottawa? Uh, I do know. It is exactly... Um, As you're stalling uh, for typing it uh, in. 4,372 kilometers via the I-94E. <laughs> Just to give the Americans a idea of how far that is it is basically new york to la what and, we're talking about and here. that would be by the way um th that's the road trip by the way but that's a fairly straight path from where i am it's fairly straight true. fairly straight. true just straight east because if you go any farther north there are no roads <laughs> exactly continue true. true okay so the alouette was actually only designed to last one year and Although it was designed to operate for that year, the scientists were very cautious to make such claims because nothing had ever lasted that long before. So they were very wary about raising expectations. And to NASA, they stated that it would operate for three months. To the public, they said it was going to last one month. So a lot of power, new batteries. We're going to make sure this thing lasts a month. All right. So a little bit of the mission anomalies, the satellite was actually spin stabilized, which means it's using centripetal force to maintain its uh, orientation towards the Earth. And it was supposed to spin at 1.4 revolutions per minute after the antenna extended. But after about 500 days, the spin slowed more than had been expected, and it was down to 0.6 revolutions per minute. And that's when the spin stabilization failed. However, it is believed that the satellite gradually progressed towards what is known as a gravity gradient stabilization because it had that 150 foot long antenna and basically that allowed the antenna to point straight down to the earth. So that is important to come up with a different form of stabilization in satellites. So you got a couple of things going for you, Stephen. You've got a lot of new stuff on the satellite and you progressed from a spin stabilization, which is honestly the best solution here to the gravity stabilization, which is not desired, but it worked. So, okay. And it was believed that it was resulted from the thermal thermal distortion of the antenna and from radiation pressure of the antenna, basically getting cosmic rays being thrown at it. So it was solved with the second satellite because they put end plates on the 73-meter antenna and it corrected that rapid de-spin and Alouette 2 spun at the rate that it was supposed to. Let's talk a little bit about why this was so important from a scientific area. So first of all, it didn't have any tapes on board. It didn't actually send actually any data back other than the transmissions, but those transmissions were recorded and they were recorded on tapes. So a data restoration effort began in the late 90s and successfully saved a considerable portion of the high resolution data before the telemetry tapes were discarded. And you can find all that data on the NASA website. And I believe the Canadian websites for space also have the uh, data available to that. So you can go through all the data and why is this really important just with a month's worth of data? No, it wasn't one month. Steven, it wasn't even three months. It wasn't even the year that they designed this thing for. It was launched in 1962. It was operational until 1972. The thing lasted 10 wow. years. That's Guys, crazy. out of the three of us, I'm the only one with a car that has lasted 10 years. <laughs> And this was amazing. So congratulations to the Canadians for throwing something up there that lasted 10 years. That was great. And oh, by the way, Alouette 2 also lasted 10 years. So the effort led to the realization that, guess what? Satellite communications would be the best way to provide communication infrastructure for all of Canada, including the extreme north. So this, this is great. So satellite communications are because of this satellite program. So a very concrete result of this was the launch by NASA, which was the Telsat Canada of ANIC A1, which was a telecommunication satellite designed to satisfy Canada's domestic communications requirements. So that's really cool. And 
In June 1969, a special issue of the Proceedings of the IEEE was devoted entirely to topside sounding of the ionosphere, and the great majority of the papers in that issue sprung from the analysis of data from the Alouette satellites, both one and two. The Alouette One was named an IEEE milestone in 1993. It is featured on the Amory Adventure Award. And Stephen, what has Alouette have to do with Timbits? What? Why did you put that in the show notes? What are you talking about? I did nothing. I did nothing. Of I, course, I, he did. I have no idea what you're talking about right now. You should just keep reading your document that you've got with all of the notes. I told you, I read this ahead of time. So, listener at home, Stephen wants to say that Alouette's one's biggest milestone when it was when it brought Timbits to space, thus initiating first contact with the Vulcans, and none but of that, that really happened. That's not how first contact was initiated with the Vulcans, Stephen. Come on. I, Come I on. was under the impression that's what they taught me in my history books. That's why I was just Come modifying... On. Revising your document that you've got here that you you work through as you read your space symposium. You, so you've seen Star Trek: First Contact. You know in that documentary how this actually happened. You watched the same documentary I did growing up. Fair enough. Fair enough. So we hey. talked about how Alouette's mission lasted for ten years. Now the satellite was deliberately switched off on September thirtieth, nineteen seventy-two. The satellite itself remains in orbit, and in nineteen sixty-six, it was estimated, and I haven't found a current estimation that Alouette 1 would remain in orbit for a thousand years. Also of note, after Alouette 1 was launched, the upper stage of the rocket used to launch the satellite also became a derelict object in space, and that will continue to orbit for many, many years. As of October 2018, the upper stage remained in orbit. So guys, the Alouette 1, very impressive, and the Alouette 2, also very impressive. This was Canada's first foyer into space i will say they did not launch it they didn't ha have the rocket technology but they did have the technology homegrown to make these two revolutionary satellites that really put both the u.s and the ussr to shame at the time i gotta say uh i did read this information that you had when you told me to and i was very impressed uh i, I was surprised and and a little ashamed of myself for not knowing all about this and it made me feel a little bit more special being Canadian. So it's cool. It's really neat. Some of the cool things that came out of this or, and the way that there was a whole bunch of new things done with this. So I thought it was really cool. I was very proud of it. With that said, I can admit, I, I can admit when things are not as cool as their American counterparts, I'm always happy to do that. And I will just say right now, that with this was okay. Remind us what who was this a uh, a, a collaboration? What was the collaboration? Well, it was with NASA and who? The well, it was Canadian Space Agency, but really the DRTE, right? Right, the DRTE. So it was the DRTE and NASA. It was what you were talking about here. And I gotta say, SNASA sounds cool. Snuggerty. Secret DRTE, not so cool. Snadurturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturturtur
I think that uh, we got a little a little behind the times because n people stopped caring about space exploration and space stuff for a while. And I think it's important that we continue that culture talking about it so that we can continue to develop. We will go through all the important space probes and space landers, so on and so forth. But we will get to current stuff, too, eventually. And I can't wait for that to, to happen. We'll be talking about stuff like the Insight and the Shonger eventually once we get there. Wait a minute. How do you know that we're going to get there? Because does that mean that SNASA has developed time travel? Whoa, blew my mind there. You've, you've actually seen us get to there. That's crazy. Steven, we're talking about a satellite that was launched in 1962. It's 2019. There's I, a lot that's happened between then and now. Right. And you're saying that I'm going to continue continue on the show. And there's a good probability that I'll get bored. Uh, right. I'll yeah. just get bored or, or and just we'll stop. fire you or fire something. Yeah. Exactly. So how do you know we're going to get there unless you've I, developed I, time travel? I, I, I was not connecting the dots of the Gunna Geek show getting there versus... <laughs> history getting there so history has gotten there i don't know if the gonna geek show is going to get there we're gonna have to have a little discussion afterwards Jim. no you said it time travel and as per the agents of shield logic that means that i'm invincible i'm backing off that statement right now because i didn't know it was going to be taken that way all right well if you got a question for stargate pioneer or any other question for any of us please do get in touch with us through any of the ways you can go ahead and go over to gunnageek.com or tweet us at Gunna Geek, or just go to facebook.com slash Gunna Geek. But that's going to take us towards the end of the show. Before we wrap up, I just want to take a moment to go around the table and let everybody plug and promote and do whatever they want to do. I'm going to actually start us off here with a sincere thanks to Suncast, who came on the show last week. Suncast, you did a fantastic job while I was away. Unfortunately, I was actually occupied while that show was going on, so I couldn't watch it live, but I had a lot of fun editing it and listening to it back and everything no, it was a lot of fun and um suncast your news story it is going to be the highlight of the guinea geek show for a very very long time if you did miss that go to www.geeks.link slash 271 where you can check out episode 271 titled gonna ascend the throne and we'll leave it at that chris farrell anything that you would like to plug or promote well, I'd like to thank Suncast for sharing his news story last week because it has got me started on a new show launching next week, ToiletCast.com. We talk about smart toilets and how we want to replace our old ones with new ones, featuring Suncast as the reigning king of the toilet cast. He doesn't know this is happening, by the way, so surprise. I was say, isn't that the definition of ATGN? <laughs> no, there's a lot more poo jokes on ATGN. <laughs> That would be why it would be a toilet cast. I got the joke, SP. I got it. Thank you. SP, is there anything that you would like to plug or promote? And by the way, it looks like toiletcast.com is still available. <laughs> of course you looked it up. So Starly Tribune is the podcast that Chris and I do along with Michelle. We talk about the CWDC television shows. We primarily focus on Arrow. And in season seven of Arrow, the mid- season premiere or the winter premiere depending on which uh vernacular you subscribe to is tonight as we're recording this so on thursday night we'll be talking all about the mid-season premiere of arrow season seven i can't wait for that and if you want to know more about that go to starlingtribute.com which is found on the gunnageek.com network and lastly before we close i want to give a special shout out to a steaming pile of you know what uh the orville has let me down this year okay i'm gonna go ahead and say that it has been such a disappointment this year compared to last season that it is aggravating what they have done to that show there so yeah, i want to go ahead and throw that out here not to make people angry but this past few days Suncast is kind of feeling the same way as me and we were chatting offline and he pointed out a thread where a lot of people are loving Orville and to me it's not the same show so I want to put that out here because obviously I called it what I did to, to make you listen up and everything but I do want people to tell me if you watched Orville last week or last year, and you're watching this year, what is your thoughts? And if you're liking it, why do you like it? Um, and tell me what you're liking about it, because I'd love to talk a little bit further about that 
on this show in the future because right now it is shaping up for me to be the most disappointing series returning series of this year for me personally so please get in touch with us through any of the ways because i would like to try to find a way to fit that into a future episode on this show because again it has been really 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 disappointing for me this year you must have higher standards than me <laughs> so on that note that's gonna go ahead and do it for episode 272 of the official geek.com show i'm stephen john drew saying pretty sure i saw alara on magnum pi this week i'm sp saying we'll see you in two weeks guys and i'm chris saying i got nothing witty this week but thanks for joining us r.i.p Chatwing. oh we'll miss you Say hi to Blab for us, Chatwing. Or went out. Thanks for checking out another episode of the official GunnaGeek.com show. If you like the show, please give us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts or a thumbs up on YouTube. You can always join us for our live recording sessions, which stream Mondays at 8.45 p.m. Eastern at www.geeks.live. And remember, you can find our full back catalog at gunageek.com forward slash show. If you're itching for more geeky content, check out other shows on gunageeknetwork.com. Voice work was by Emily Prokop of the Story Behind podcast. That's it for this episode. We hope to see you back again next week.